Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on January 23rd, 2022, on the basis of Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 10. It's hard to imagine the range of emotions that you would feel if God himself appeared before you and called you into ministry. He gave you a direct call. You have to imagine that that would be extremely terrifying. You might be so terrified that you wouldn't even look up. Your head would be buried down in the ground because you would be afraid to look up like Moses was when he was called into ministry. You've got to imagine that at that moment, as, as the almighty, holy God stood before you, that you would suddenly become intensely aware of your own lack of holiness. That you would become intensely aware of your own sinfulness like Isaiah was. When Isaiah was called into ministry, he said, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. You have to imagine that that if the Lord God stood before you, that you'd also be very aware of your own weaknesses and shortcomings, your own lack of, of, of abilities, like Jeremiah was. When he was called into ministry and he said, I don't know how to speak, for I am too young. Yet, each of these prophets, they had comfort from God in their calls as well. Moses and Isaiah and many other prophets like them. But for Jeremiah specifically, it had to be of intense and immediate comfort to him to hear what God said to him in verse 5. He said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God didn't make a mistake. He didn't get the wrong guy. In fact, Jeremiah was the guy that God had in mind for this task from before the time that Jeremiah was even conceived. Before he was formed in his mother's womb, the Lord had appointed him to carry out this specific task as a prophet of the Lord. But Jeremiah was still a little unconvinced. What could I possibly say to someone else? I'm young. I don't have any life experience. Maybe somebody else who has lived a little bit longer, who has some life experience, who has some of their own wisdom that they have gathered in in their life, maybe they would have something to say to the people. But but what am I going to say? I don't have that life experience. What am I supposed to say to, to God's people? But, but God says, no excuses, Jeremiah. He says, do not say I am too young. You must go every, to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Well, okay, at least that's a comfort, right? Jeremiah doesn't have to come up with his own words. He doesn't have to, to write down these, this eloquent speech to, to the people. But God is going to give him the words to say. Jeremiah just needs to go 
and then tell him what God tells him to, to say, how hard could that be? The answer? Incredibly difficult. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit more about Jeremiah's ministry in a bit. There was a study that they did at Harvard probably about three years ago. It was a series of studies, but it all centered around one thing that they were trying to prove. They were trying to prove how people take good news and how people take bad news, how they respond to these things. So they did a series of 11 different experiments to discover that very thing. Here's one of them just to give you an example of what that would have looked like. In this particular experiment, there were three people involved, and they were in two different rooms. Each participant had the potential to win $2. At random, it was completely by chance, but they would have the chance to win that. There would be a moderator in one room that had a hat, and in the hat were all these torn up sheets of paper that said either yes or no on them. In that same room, there was a messenger and in the other room, there was the participant. And so the moderator would draw the, either the yes or the no, and that would determine whether that person was going to get $2 or not. But instead of the moderator saying that to the person in the other room, the messenger was supposed to be the one to take that news to the other room and share with that person if they won $2 or if they didn't win $2. And they would ask the participant, how much they either liked or disliked the, the messenger on, on some spectrum there. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how that experiment's going to turn out, right? <laughs> the generally more liked messenger was the messenger bringing the good news, obviously. And the ones who, who brought the bad news, you didn't win $2, they were generally more disliked than, than the other messengers. Even the messengers would have known that, right? As, as they drew the, the yes or the no, even before they walked into that room, those messengers would know how their message would be received, whether they had good news or, or bad news. It's a pretty obvious experiment, pretty simple experiment, but it kind of communicates something about us. It, it com communicates something about us in a simple way that a lot of times appears in complex ways in our life that somewhat intuitively, we know how someone else might receive a certain message. And it might be because we know that person pretty well, or it might be because we're pretty good at evaluating the message that we have. But if you were in a scenario where you had to be the messenger, where you had to share news or confront somebody about something... Uh, you would be able to, to know whether that message would be received well or not, or, or you'd at least have an inkling of an idea how that message might be received. So, put yourself in a scenario where you had to share a message that maybe was not going to be so popular with somebody else. Put yourself in that scenario, you've probably been in it before, and there's maybe some, some tactics that you've used, that you've employed, when you've had that bad news to share, or when you've had something to talk to somebody about, but you don't really want to do it. Maybe you have just taken the tactic of just avoiding altogether, right? It's pretty easy to avoid the subject of, of whatever you don't want to confront in a, in a conversation. 
It is also even easier to just avoid that person altogether, so it never comes up, right? You never have to address whatever you need to address because you're not with them. That's one strategy, right? Here's another one. You could remove the possibility of immediate blowback, right? So a good example of this would be the classic boyfriend breaking up with girlfriend over text message, right? He's removing the immediate blowback. He's lowering the level of confrontation, and he's avoiding, uh, he's avoiding everything that, takes, that goes into a conversation like that. Uh, here's another strategy. Maybe someone could alter the message just a little bit, right? Change the message, fluff it up a little bit, put it in, in a sandwich where there's good news, bad news, good news, just to soften the blow, right? Just to make the message a little less unpopular. There's a hundred different strategies that, that you could have if you had to be the one who had to confront somebody over something, or if you had to share with them news that you knew that they wouldn't want to hear. Maybe some of you can see where I'm going with this a little bit, but we can apply this to God's Word too, can't we? Are, are there parts of God's Word or parts of what God wants to share with people that we know might aggravate somebody, might rile them up, might not be quite as popular of a message for, for somebody else. We know our culture. We know the things that our culture promotes. And we know the things that come from God's Word that might go directly against what our culture promotes. Or at least we know the things that might be kind of risky to bring up to somebody else. And because we know all of those things, there's a temptation. There's a temptation to avoid conversations. There, there's a temptation to alter or adapt or, or leave part of that Word of God out of that conversation because we know how it's going to be received, or at least we think we know how it's going to be received. Maybe some of you right now, actually, have somebody in your life that you've been meaning to talk to about something. Maybe they've fallen into a specific sin or a bad habit or they haven't been to church in a while. And you've been thinking about talking to them about this for a while. And maybe you've tried avoiding it in some ways. You've avoided that topic in conversations. You've maybe avoided them. But it's always stayed in your mind as you should have that conversation with them. But you keep putting it off, you keep putting it off, and that sin in their life has lingered because no one has said anything to them. That, that sin in their life could have been repented of and gotten rid of if they were confronted, but it has lingered. And maybe even now they, they believe that you tacitly approve of what they are, are doing because you haven't said anything. We, we can fall into that temptation individually on a one-to-one on -one basis in, in our lives. And, and the church can also be guilty of something like that too. The church knows messages that are going to be popular to people. The, the church knows messages that are going to be unpopular, things that are going to maybe make people a little upset after hearing it in, in worship. They know the messages that are going to draw people in and, and fill the seats 
here, and, and they maybe tend to go toward, more towards those message, messages and hide the parts of God's word that are going to be a little less popular with people. Churches can fail to lovingly confront people over their sinfulness and, and point them to their need to repent and their need for a Savior. But whether it's individually or corporately as, as a church, we can make this takeaway. The desire for us to be liked, the desire for us to please other people, can lead us to dishonor God and dishonor his word. The, the desire to be liked and the desire to please other people can lead us to just tell people what they want to hear and not what they desperately need to hear. And, and there's two sides of that temptation. So, so there's the temptation to not speak the whole truth of God, right? Whether that's individually or, or in the church. But it can be the other way too. You, you might be tempted to surround yourself with people that are just going to tell you what you want to hear. That's what Paul was warning Timothy about. He said there's going to be people that don't want to put up with what God says in his word anymore. And if they want to, they can go find people that are going to teach them what they want to hear. They can surround themselves with a group of people that will always support them and never tell them what they're doing is wrong or against God's word or, or a sin. They could find people that will never confront them about anything. It won't be the truth, but they can do that. They could insulate themselves in that way. It's a real temptation, but it's not a new temptation. That temptation's been around for a long time. We said at the beginning that Jeremiah had kind of a, a tough ministry he had a tough call to, to carry out. We didn't elaborate too much, but let me explain a little bit now. When God called Jeremiah into ministry, he had called him to preach a message to the people that was mostly of judgment, judgment against their sin, confronting them in their sin. You see, for the Israelites, years and years had, had passed where they had pretty much rejected God. Many of them had removed God from their lives altogether. Others of them maybe had God hanging on at, at the bottom of their priority list, but they had a whole list of other things ahead of him, and they didn't think too much of God. He was called to preach to a, a people that needed to hear that they had real sin, that had real eternal consequences, because up until this point, they seemed pretty oblivious to all of that. But as you could imagine, that, that message that God had given Jeremiah to share with people was not going to be a, a very popular message. It wasn't going to be something that people wanted to hear. They, they, they didn't want to hear that they were sinners. They didn't want to hear that their sin had, had consequences. And so don't you think for Jeremiah, there was that same temptation to alter or change or omit part of God's word just to make the message a little more popular, to make the message uh, less likely to be rejected. That, that temptation was certainly there for Jeremiah. And God knew that, and he knows that for us, too. And, and he gives Jeremiah some comfort when he says, this, he says this and does this for him in verse 9. Listen to this. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you. That's the comfort he gives them. Then, then listen to what he does. 
Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. God gives Jeremiah this specific comfort to carry out his task because his task was absolutely necessary. The people needed to hear that they had real sin, that had real eternal consequences. They needed to be woken up to this. So God equipped Jeremiah to to proclaim this message, and he gave him three things, three assurances in what what we just read. First, he gave him his word. He actually touched his mouth and says, I have put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah didn't have to reach into his own wisdom. He didn't have to come up with something clever. God had given him his words to share. And if they're words from God, you know they're good, right? You know that they're perfect. You know that they're what people need to hear. And God had given that to Jeremiah. He had also given them him himself. That's the second thing he's given them. He says, I am with you, which means Jeremiah wasn't going out to preach this message by himself. God was with him. He was with them as he was preaching a message that people didn't want to hear. He was with them as people rejected him. He was with him through all of it. And thirdly, he had given him the final verdict. He says, I will rescue you. Now, now, Jeremiah knows that no matter what happens in his ministry, no matter what happens in his life, God is always, already taking care of his rescue, his eternal rescue. Heaven is his. But he also has promised to rescue him in this life too. And if you read Jeremiah's story, you'll see that God does rescue Jeremiah many times in his life. God fulfills his promises. God fulfills the comfort that he had given to Jeremiah. And like Jeremiah, God has given us a similar responsibility. As a church, he has told us to preach the word, the unvarnished, unvarnished, unaltered word of God. We don't need to filter God's word. We don't need to leave out the parts that, that seem unpopular to our culture today. He has given us the responsibility to preach the, to preach the word, which means that when you come to church here, you're going to hear the word. You're going to hear less messages of self-help and more messages about sin and grace. You're going to hear less messages about the social issues of the day and more messages about law and gospel. You're going to hear messages that are less attractional in nature and more focused on Jesus and the forgiveness that Jesus came to win for us. Like Jeremiah, God has also given you his word. In the Bible, he has given you his word, and it's not always words that you want to hear or that other people want to hear, but it's the word that you need. And sometimes it's going to be words that uproot the the way that you like to live, the way that you found comfortable living. It's going to uproot some of those things. At other times, it's going to overthrow your your notion that you are self-sufficient. At other times, it's going to to tear down your your notion that you have some sort of self-righteousness. And at other times, it's going to destroy the pride that's in your heart. But it will always preach to you the message that you need. It might not be the one you want, but it's the one that you need. And they're not all difficult words. They're not all difficult words because the center of the Bible, the theme of the entire Bible 
is God's salvation for you through Jesus. That's the good news He has come to to give to you. So His words won't always be uprooting or tearing down or destroying or overthrowing. But as He ended in His call to Jeremiah, He also comes to build and to plant. To build your life on, on Jesus. To build your life on the forgiveness that Jesus came to win for you. To plant a new heart in you. And to grow you through his word, to grow your your faith. Jesus comes to give you what you need. And his word accomplishes what you need. So so you might not always hear a message that you you want to hear. And we have sinful nature, so we know that sometimes we're not going to like what God says in his word. But we trust that it is from God and we trust that it, it is exactly what we need to hear. That we need to hear that Jesus saved us from our sins. That we need to hear that that Jesus has won eternal life for us, which is the center message of the entire Bible and the only message that can bring you to heaven one day. That has the power to to do that. Certainly that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. (laughs) Those temptations to alter, omit, or change parts of God's word, they're, they're still going to be there. The temptations to surround yourself with people that are, are never going to tell you that you're wrong, that, that temptation will, will still be there. But just like God gave Jeremiah specific comfort and assurance, he has given that to you too. And they're very similar to Jeremiah's. First, he has given you his word. He has given you the Bible, to, his written word for you, what you need to know to be saved. Learn it. Immerse yourself in it. Take it to to heart. Know what's written in there so you can share it with others, so you can have comfort for your life. That's his word that he's given to you. He has given you himself, just like he gave to Jeremiah. He has promised you that he is with you always. No matter what you're going through in your life, he is there. Even when he doesn't feel like he's there, he's there. And finally, he has given you the final verdict. He, He has said, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you that place is prepared for you. You know the final verdict. You know where you're going when you die. So no matter what happens in your life, you have that final verdict. He has given you that comfort and that assurance so that you know that the word always satisfies needs. And it's all we need in this life. Amen.